Welcome to What If and Other Possibilities podcast. This podcast deals with the current technological advancements and developments uh, that are in high tech and uh, similar sectors. Uh, as we see, a lot of AI-related developments are taking place, but there are other technologies that are called hard tech or deep tech technologies that are trying to make a difference in the world uh, and uh, and and then and in the lives of the people who are living. The problem here is that uh, most of these technologies are focused on a specific sector or a specific geography, and a lot of people are feeling left behind. So this podcast uh, thinks about such technologies. The fundamental question that we are trying to address is that can we actually use current technological developments coupled with data at grassroots to develop solutions that can be readily implemented to change the growth path of small and medium businesses that are working with grassroots or organizations or the people or persons. So uh, the two things that we are trying to do here are bringing in visionaries who are working in this direction or trying to present data related to that. So today's topic is about the great work uh, that is being done by Nudge Foundation in India. Nudge Foundation, for those who don't know about it, uh, is a foundation that works with the entrepreneurs or uh, developers of technology at grassroots who have uh, excellent solutions but are not aware of the market potential and are not uh, aware of the business uh, case for their technology or their passion. And Nudge works with them in the form of incubators to bring them together and then try to develop the solutions that can actually be taken directly to the market. And they have done a uh, great amount of work with multiple organizations and multiple people in this domain. So today we have Atul Satija. Uh, for uh, our listeners, Atul was my undergraduate classmate so when, I, when I was uh, doing my VTech in mechanical engineering. And um, Atul has uh, done great in terms of uh, his own uh, work in terms of uh, business domain, but he translated that to Nudge and is leading it successfully and scaling it. So Atul, welcome. We are excited uh, that uh, you are here. I've heard a lot about the Nudge Foundation work and we are interested in learning about uh, a few stories that you can share uh, that our listeners can relate to in terms of the work that is being done by Nudge and then how is it impacting the people it's working with. Hi Vikas, Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's a lovely choice of topic and agenda and I'm looking forward to sharing uh, tidbits from our own journey that we have seen at the Nudge. Uh, Like you said, uh, uh, Vikas, uh, Nudge is actually an action institute working towards making sure that we are able to contribute to India becoming a poverty-free nation before we are 100, which is about 24 years from now. In this journey, the choice of our work area is livelihood. How do we support people at the grassroots having better livelihoods? By better, we mean dignified, resilient, and also sustainable livelihoods. Now, we know that uh, as an organization, the best way to increase the surface area of the of the uh, uh, you know probability of our success is when we work with the entire livelihoods ecosystem in the country. So we started our nonprofit and uh, hybrid social incubator and an accelerator about five years back. And uh, we have graduated about uh, 100 plus organizations from our incubator and accelerator uh, uh, in this period. Now, uh, uh, some stories, as you asked, uh, 
Uh, I'll share a very recent one. Uh, we just uh, uh, brought on board an organization called Karya. Karya in Hindi means work. And this organization uh, has a lovely story of, uh, you know, how a, a slum kid from Delhi, Shakur Basti, went on to do computer science from Stanford to then starting his own nonprofit, which is uh, now on the cover of the Time magazine. And he was just conferred one of the 100 most influential people on the planet in AI. What they essentially do at Karya is that they realize that the world needs insane amount of data, non-private data, in vernacular languages, which can actually be used to make the models in AI better for the communities at the grassroots. Now, if I am, let us say, a Tamil uh, community, uh, the AI that is used to interact with me, uh, language models and beyond, needs to be smart enough to know my context, my language, my culture, my history, my language deeply. So what they essentially do is that they partner with corporates, large corporates like Microsoft and many others, OpenAI, Tesla, Google, etc., and uh, uh, take their requirements for data, non-private uh, vernacular data, and then they hire people working in remote parts of the country to actually give those data sets. It could be how you talk about the weather, how you talk about uh, schools, education, agriculture, irrigation, uh, uh, anything really. And these voice sample sets, data sets are then actually given to these large companies. But the amount of money that this organization and this founder, Manu, are able to transfer to the communities is, is something that uh, uh, is 5x the minimum wage. Uh, and families can come out of poverty at an astronomical pace relatively, right? I mean, think of it as uh, uh, within a couple of years compared to seven generations that it normally takes for a family to come out of poverty. And they're already working with 30,000 Indians across the country with this work. And it's only a one and a half year old organization. So a lot of lovely stories like that, that you've seen where people are using cutting edge technology needs across the world to benefit the communities uh, at the at the global south. This is this is very interesting. Asim. Thanks for sharing Karya's story. I briefly went through their website and uh, what is really exciting about this uh, story is that uh, the the extent of impact they have made in a, such a small amount of time. So this is an ideal case of low lift solution and uh, absolutely yeah so i've heard uh, a lot about uh, nudge incubators you're uh, you are sharing the stories the other people are also sharing the stories so i have a question here so uh, being from um, uh, us uh, and being exposed to the startup ecosystem when i think about incubators typically these are for startups who are trying to scale or trying to find a initial uh, a product market fit type of uh, scenario. So how the nudge incubator differs uh, from the startup incubators or accelerators in that sense? What are the key things that you look for? So because in many ways, actually, it is not that different in the sense that uh, these are uh, also startups also run by passionate entrepreneurs, extremely smart entrepreneurs who are looking to solve a problem and scale the solution. They are also at an MVP stage in our incubator and at a growth stage in our accelerator. 
uh, we are equally selective. Our selection rate in our incubator is sitting at roughly about two percent, two and a half percent. In our accelerator, it is about one and a half percent or so. Oh, so wow. very, very selective. Some of the best people across the world apply, and we take them through a nine-month program in incubator, and about one and a half to two years long program in our accelerator. But the way in which they are different, Vikas, is there are two filters. One, uh, all of them have a strong social intent, so they are not solving a commercial problem alone. Mm-hmm. They are solving a social problem. The social problem may have economics and uh, sort of commerce as a bottleneck, right? I mean, it's not viable; it won't scale. But they are all solving a social problem. When I say social problem, I mean problems of poverty, problems of livelihoods of India's poor. That is the first big difference. the The legal entity structure could be a non-profit or a social enterprise. Most of our organizations historically have been non-profits. Mm-hmm. The second filter is that they are all very high empathy entrepreneurs. They deeply care, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this kind of work. But other than these two, the fact that they are high empathy entrepreneurs and they are solving a social problem, sometimes a legal entity may be a non-profit and not a for-profit. Uh, there isn't other uh, others are not, uh, uh, you know, other others are actually pretty much the same uh, factors of building a startup. Mm-hmm. I would also uh, underline that uh, the realities of working at the grassroots also hit this cohort of incubators that you may not see necessarily in all for-profit incubators or regular commercial incubators, which is that in many cases the distribution pathway is government, right? Because government is uh, uh, sort of omnipresent when you go and reach the hinterlands. Mm-hmm. So in many cases they are. natural partner for scale is government and the other unique thing here is that the technology usage is usually less than what it is for people in bigger cities where customers are sitting on smartphones customers have infinite data uh, customers are financially and digitally literate etc and many of our cases are startups customers are usually people living in poverty and hence uh, uh, the last mile technology you would use there uh, may have a a ceiling much lower than what you would find otherwise and that is where our role comes in how do we find pathways to use technology for scale mm-hmm. despite these constraints uh, in the ecosystem like the example i gave of karya so karya example was very interesting uh, so, uh, but i have a further inquiry in that so what are the specific mm-hmm. uh, uh, do you have one or two stories about the type of technologies that you look for i'm sure not all technologies are uh, will will be directly impactful in the current scenario so maybe there may be some short term needs versus medium term needs and longer term so what are your views about that yeah so because uh, you know uh, intuitively it seems like uh, we won't be able to use the cutting edge technology for the customer segment we are working on mm-hmm. but i've seen that it's actually uh, uh, counter intuitive in practice that most of the latest technologies do end up benefiting the poor uh, uh, very disproportionately take drones for example right drones mm-hmm. have a huge amount of value add when you're working on uh, uh, in agriculture right for drone seeding to precision agriculture to monitoring systems huge number of applications in small and marginal farmers lives 
to reduce their cost mm-hmm. similarly when you think of uh, 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 chat gpt for example or gpt4 the open ai language models or even other language models globally now they have materially reduced the cost of learning through ai Mm-hmm. and uh, naj naj itself is building chatbots on top of chat gpt and gpt4 models which allows people to learn english language and practice english language through whatsapp bots oh, using chat gpt and gpt4 behind people mm-hmm. play puzzles games make poems all on whatsapp on top of uh, 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 vernacular plus english uh, chatbots we have built on Uh, LLMs, uh, and I can give you numerous examples like that of technologies being used. IoT, for example, is another very interesting use case where one of our incubators, which became the MIT Sol finalist a couple of years back, mm-hmm. they are working on actually uh, uh, they're using technology in India. There is something called Tabis, which is a wearable device that communities have always want for. Uh, religious and cultural reasons mm-hmm. it's a social norm that people wear this uh, around their neck or in their arm so what this startup did is they actually used it for public health data recording and exchange oh, so every time a mother would bring a small child to a public health center the tabis actually is an iot device that stores the medical records the data for the child and the mother and because of the significance of tabis in their in their uh, uh, religious and spiritual and social lives people never take it off uh, right it's most taken care of uh, uh, device that they have so every time they come to a public health infrastructure uh, the data gets immediately transferred to doctor's device and doctor knows what the patient data is there is no need for physical files files being not available and all of the data is then synced in real time this is very interesting yeah. so and they work with multiple state governments now across hundreds of thousands of families uh, with this uh, iot infrastructure i know similar use of ai in education for example for primary education in public uh, uh, in public education so a lot of lovely stories uh, are recast on the grassroots for cutting edge technology so uh, i'm i'm uh, a common theme that is emerging is that uh, there are hard technologies that will be capital intensive and very tough to implement in immediate sense but uh, ai is a game changer in that sense that uh, it allows you to take a technology from one part of the world in real time and take it to another part and integrate it with the current culture for example you gave the example of iot and tabis then can make an immediate difference uh, you cannot uh, one cannot make people wear iot sensors and especially those will be extremely capital intensive but uh, a small uh, 10 rupees chip can be incorporated and then integrated with the current data collection paradigm and then can make an immediate impact so definitely this is a very powerful story so so in the next segment i would like to uh, come back to atul uh so atul you are doing such an impactful work and uh, definitely uh we wish you all the best in that domain but we would like to come back to why uh why you are doing it and then how, and then if we can look into that the motivation is that uh, 
the other people who are listening can actually go through this and then examine that okay they can also do it and uh, probably can they can also join in your journey so so what what is your history that brought you to nudge and uh, and then why should one think about doing what you're doing uh well because uh, a lot of people uh in the countries like india when you are seeing the first generation wealth build out uh start to follow uh, uh uh the wealth creation opportunities that the country's growth brings i did the same for many many years right 18 years was uh uh leveraging the opportunities that lay in front of us uh, in my case in front of me and i think that gave me a lot uh, but over time you know some of those childhood desires uh, when you are reflecting on what you really want to do uh, start to surface in my case it was like a lot of us feel like oh, i want to become a a sports person or a scientist or xyz when we are growing up for me it was uh, you know how do i make a lot of money uh, very early in life and then when i retire i will actually do social work but i think the opportunities india provided allowed me to afford this dream much sooner so what i thought i would do in 60s became like can i you know uh, move into social sector in 50s and then it became can i move in 40s and fortunately in my case i was able to make that transition in my late 30s and then i jumped into the social sector and started the nudge uh, of course the the courage to make that decision uh, mm-hmm. wasn't uh, uh, something i got overnight Mm-hmm. i started volunteering in my early 30s joined a non-profit uh uh initially as a volunteer then as a board member for a while and that journey gave me enough confidence that uh, this probably is going to be uh life changing but also uh, uh, a very positive decision for myself and i think that's how it turned out to be oh that's interesting so uh, definitely um you have been very successful in business domain before joining nudge and nudge is also doing very well so uh, definitely i'm at least looking forward to uh, see nudge scale so uh, so the next few questions that i have are about nudge so uh, so you said okay you started nudge uh, before uh, with a with a prior vision of getting into uh, social sector but you before you actually started nudge you sat in a few board meetings and went into uh, ground and understood what are the needs so you followed a typical path where you thought okay was the maximum possible impact opportunities so uh, so so my question is about the future now so where are where is nudge going and uh, what are your what is your vision in next 10 years see the way i think about this because is that uh, if you look at history most countries have remained poor for a very long period of time and when they have come out of poverty as a nation it has happened relatively fast uh look at uh, china's story in the last 25 years or look at tiger economies just before that singapore mm-hmm. hong kong taiwan south korea mm-hmm. even japan for example mm-hmm. uh and all these countries come out uh, uh, riding a few waves uh, or one large wave of uh, you know prosperity in china it was uh, labor moving from farms to toy and garment factories to share 
all the way to iPhone factories at the other end, mm. pretty much taking all manufacturing for China and the rest of the world uh, as a as a wave. We saw the same thing happen in Singapore on one wave or Hong Kong on the other or South Korea on the other things. Mm-hmm. India rode an IT wave, which uh, uh, was a very, very successful wave, wave, gave a lot to the country, but it rode on the back of three to five million engineers, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the secondary implication of that was touching 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 million people. But it wasn't large enough to pull the entire country out of poverty. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the social waves, like microfinance is now touching 70, 80 million people getting access to cheaper credit or the white revolution where you have 15, 20 million households participating in backyard cattle farming mm-hmm. uh, through Amul and Nandini and Verkal, uh, mm-hmm. Pavin and Sudha and so many other brands. Mm-hmm. I think if India has to be a poverty-free country, which I definitely think we should aspire to, and can do in the next 15, 20, 25 years, it will be on the back of a few very large waves. Very nice. But other that's our best shot, right? There could be many other things that contribute as well. And I feel the nudge, uh, uh, the big game that nudge is trying to play is how can we contribute to one of these waves that India will see happening around it uh, on its own or created by institutions, organizations like the nudge. Mm-hmm. And they may happen top down the way Aadhaar or UPI were conceptualized, or it may happen bottoms up the way microfinance revolution came from the grassroots, mm-hmm. or it may happen through technological and science-based shifts the way it happened in the green revolution or white revolution. So, so we are on a lookout for fundamental livelihood solutions, especially using technology. And if they solve something meaningfully on the ground, how do we remove the barriers for these solutions to scale? And the way we are doing that is by looking in the ecosystem, improving the ecosystem of innovations on technology and livelihood sector, and also doing some more structured pilots within the org that we can see whether we can scale them. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what we are trying to do. It's a, it's a long-term ecosystem play in the livelihoods for India's poor space. And uh, we are leveraging uh, technology at the center, but also talent, capital, policy, and data as ecosystem levers to uh, to build this play for us. That's that's interesting. So um, here, when we think about the economies, right? So uh, when we think about uh, recent G20 that is going on in India, India trying to become. Uh, the top three world economy in the next few years. Uh, and then the multiple countries' growth rates uh, playing out in that scenario, and India being one of the top uh, growth rate countries as well. So um, so definitely your vision is aligned with the, the macroeconomic vision that is going around. And uh, and it's also in sync with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you talked about that government being only present in the smaller cities and then using government as a partner can build out for you. So, uh, so that is also a quite synergistic scenario. So, my next question is that in this whole domain, so why do you think it's a it will be a game changer? So, uh, what is the what is a game changer opportunity? You said you talked about poverty elevation. So that is your mission in a sense that uh, you know uh, we definitely want uh, a world where 
nobody starves or people have right opportunities for their families and themselves. But uh, what is this game changer opportunity? So you briefly talked about reducing the barriers, right? So, so what is that game changer that you're looking for that Nudge will create to achieve your goal or at least you're looking forward to? See, the game-changing piece, Vikas, here is to be creating the enabling conditions in which these big waves can happen. If you look at 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, the Green Revolution, the White Revolution, the microfinance movement, all happened despite the ecosystem, not because of the ecosystem. And uh, today, if you look at it, India is at a place where you have physical infrastructure sorted. As a country, we have road infrastructure built to the last mile. Mm -hmm. Very few communities don't have a highway within five kilometer radius of where they are, right? So we have physical infrastructure. We have digital infrastructure. India has the uh, cheapest data market in the world and the highest penetration of mobile data across the country, uh, uh, similar to us in socioeconomic uh, level. We also have the financial infrastructure sorted, both in terms of uh, financial access through UPI, but also through financial resources as a country. India's expenditure budget has gone from 10 lakh crores in 2008-9 window to 50 lakh crores now. Mm -hmm. Right, Thanks to the economic prosperity, India is seeing our budgets are increasing as government, just in the center, but also in states. So you have financial resources, digital resources, uh, physical uh, infrastructure. Most importantly, we have the social infrastructure. 12 million self-help groups in the country, roughly. All of them having eight to nine women connected, which is roughly 100 million uh, uh, women connected in self-help groups, which means half a billion people in the families these women represent. Mm -hmm. That's uh, 1.5, uh, the size of US. On this social infrastructure, imagine this as a railroad infrastructure on which you can put the rails now. Mm -hmm. So India has all the foundational elements built in the last 20, 25 years. And we are at a stage where uh, you can actually build big waves on top of it using technology. And I'm very bullish that uh, by continuing to remain very focused on the livelihood sector and technology solutions in the livelihood sector, we will invent and discover solutions that can actually go to insane scale, serving hundreds of millions of Indians, effectively helping India become a poverty-free nation in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And that's a game we are playing. Uh, we already have a couple of solutions that are starting to get propagated across the ecosystem for mm -hmm. the ultra poor families. Mm -hmm. And we are looking for more such solutions as we go along. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the context that you're talking about uh, is not only limited to India, it can be uh, replicated in different countries across the world. And the key story is Absolutely. Uh, that, yeah, key story is to work with the infrastructure that is in place and try to promote that infrastructure and uh, create uh, solutions that can ride on that wave and reach as many people as possible. Once you have created that uh, uh, ground for everybody to see, then uh, and a lot of other people can join you and, and then it can multiply. So, so this, is, this has been an interesting talk. Uh, thank you, Atul. Uh, I 
always appreciated your work and uh, and always wishing the very best for you so so this brings to the end of your pod- uh, in on the uh, end of this podcast where uh, i'm curious how people who want to help you can join you or can approach you and uh, and uh, and what is the best way for other people to contribute to your journey thanks for this question vikas uh, we are uh, we are on all the standard social media channels linkedin uh in particular but also instagram etc and people can uh, look us up and ping us in any of these channels they can also write to us at partnerships at the rate the nudge.org and uh, we'll be uh responding very promptly to pick uh, any of the uh, inquiries to to help support partner in this journey so with that uh, this is the end of the podcast thank you atul uh, i'm sure the people will reach out to you and then i'm always looking forward to contribute to whatever i can uh, this is an interesting journey and it's definitely not self focused but uh, and then it, it takes a lot of sacrifice so uh, i'm sure uh, but uh, there are important uh, elements to it uh, you i'm sure you derive a lot of satisfaction in helping and uh, so are the people who are absolutely yeah so thank you to uh, uh this is the end of the podcast thanks for having uh, me yeah thank you to take care